Welcome to Washington Beer Talk. It's been a hot minute since we've had an episode. Turns out, breaking your clavicle makes it a lot less fun to ride around on your bike. But fear not, here we are, we're back with an episode at Stoop Brewing. If you haven't heard of Stoop, then I'm surprised. It's a Ballard powerhouse. And I'm sitting down today with Lara Zahaba. She, along with co-founders Brad and Robin, are the trio that founded the brewery back in 2013. We talk a lot about beer, branding, and since this was recorded a little while ago, also a lot about Pride Month. Still relevant though. Welcome to Washington Beer Talk. I am Lara Zahaba, and I am one of three co-owners of Stoop Brewing in Ballard, Washington. Just now, you mentioned that this is Stoop Brewing, not Stoop Brewery. Uh, it's not Stoop Brewing Co. Or, or anything like that. I always use them interchangeably, and I've never, ever flinched at, you know, at, the, at the difference. Why do you want to emphasize the difference? For me, it's purely an aesthetic thing. It's the way brewing sounds following the word Stoop versus brewery or brewing co or but I am one of those people that always notices when people want to call it Pike's Place Market and that drives me crazy because the S is not there in the name. <laughs> so it's aesthetic. Okay, that makes and sense. And language, I'm, you know. Yeah. Words are important to me. Probably doesn't help that your name is Laura, but I guessed it was Laura when I read it. Exactly. So that kind of thing. Probably. Yes, that's been a life a lifetime of shenanigans. <laughs> yeah. I my last name's Bieber. Which is kind of a pain because Justin Bieber. Exactly. But when I was younger, everyone thought it was Biber, and I always had to correct them or or just suffer through it. Now that he like, it's, I'm living with a problem either way. You know? <laughs> That's right. Let's start with you. Let's hear Laura's story about about beer. How did you get into it? What made you think opening a brew is a good idea? I don't know. The beginning to end. The beginning to end. It's impossible to talk about my story in beer without talking about my husband Brad who is um, another of the three owners and really the, the founding member of our business. Brad and I have been together for more than 20 years now. We started dating in 1994, crazily enough. And at that time, he had already had his craft beer epiphany um, while cycling through the San Juans with some friends and discovering some Red Hook ale on the shelf. And when we started dating, you know, he introduced me to craft beer. Um, I, of course, had choked down plenty of keg cups in my college days. But our relationship, I always like to say that it really is built pint by pint because the entirety of our dating life was spent in local breweries and um, the local beer bars, particularly here in Seattle. And then, of course, always seeking out craft beer on any of our travels Um, Germany, Australia, road trips across the United States, wherever we landed. And in 1997, my career, which was actually in wine, took us to the New York metropolitan area. We were living in Hoboken, New Jersey, and our apartment was two blocks away from Maxwell's At the time, I was about to call it Maxwell's Pub, but at the time it was a pretty well-known music venue. But they were converting it into a microbrewery at that time. Following, you know, many homebrewing disasters in our own teeny tiny Hoboken apartment, I basically kicked Brad out of the apartment and suggested that he go down to Maxwell's to, you know, see if he could help them out at all. And that's what led to his uh, professional experience in the brewing world. You know, he was he ended up working for several breweries out while we were on the East Coast. Um, 
and then again, you know, and through that experience and through all of our own adventures, we just continued to love beer. Brad was not a big fan of living on the East Coast. I was loving New York. I was traveling back and forth to Italy for the Italian wine porter I was working for, so I was pretty happy. He thought we were on a one-year plan. I thought it might have been more of a 10-year plan. It ended up being a seven-year plan. We came home to Seattle in 2003. He returned to his career as a chemist. I was working for an Australian wine importer at that time. We got married, we had our children, and we just realized that um, we weren't happy. Brad, in particular, was was not happy in his day job. And so what was that? He, he's a chemist by trade. So he was working in a laboratory, primarily with environmental issues, soil contamination issues. We then decided, like, you know, we just would ask ourselves, why aren't we doing what we want to do? The entire time that we were living on the East Coast when he wasn't happy, we would always visit, come home to Seattle, and my parents live on Bainbridge Island. So every visit included a visit to the Harbor Pub over there. I don't know if you've ever been there. I've been to a few places on Bainbridge, and right now I'm imagining that one that's kind of near the, um, sort of near the ferry and maybe just got bought by Bainbridge Brewery. No, actually, that's the Winslow Ale House, which was not there. I mean, that's a relatively new building. But if you were to go to the opposite end of um, Winslow Way, and if you were to kind of tuck down toward the marina, it sits right on the water and it looks out at all of the sailboats. And it's a very sweet little spot, like kind of a, you know, lofty roof and cozy in the winter, but beautiful in the summer. And we would fantasize about owning that. And I always said to Brad that if the Harbor Pub were to come up for sale, I would move back to Seattle in a heartbeat to do that with him. Um, But then I learned that it is owned by a woman I went to high school with, But not only the pub, but the surrounding land is owned also by her and her husband. So we sort of figured it wasn't going to change hands. And that's when we, you know, rethought our plan. But at any rate, you know, fast forward to getting back from New York and to just sort of struggling with the meaning of life and the next phase and all of those things and asking ourselves why we weren't doing something that we really loved. Um, And that's how we decided that brewing was the answer to that. So you've got the wine background, importer, you're connected, you've got some connections in the industry, some at least industry knowledge. Mm -hmm. A lot of that wine stuff transfers easily over to beer and brewing and things like that. Brad has the sort of home brewing background, a chemistry background, which you can see is like reflected a lot in your branding and your, your, your cups have this, like the beaker lines on the side. But also the the five years of professional brewing experience on the East Coast. Yeah, right. I mean, I think that's that's like, I think that it's such a wonderful story that so many Seattle breweries have have been born directly from home brewing. And I think that is, um, that's an assumption that's often made. And there's nothing wrong with that assumption at all, but I don't want to discount that time he had. Right, right. Real beer background is what definitely can give you guys a, a boost over a lot of other brewers who make the jump immediately from home brewer to brewery owner. You've got a third co-owner, yes. you mentioned. Yes. Who are they and what is their skill set that they bring to the pile? Robin Schumacher. Robin Schumacher is a former biology teacher, and she's also the first woman in the state of Washington to have achieved the Cicerone status. Oh, wow. Yeah, yeah. So okay. she's got good street cred for sure. Yeah. Um, and at the same time that Brad and I were on this journey and trying to figure out what we wanted to do, Robin had decided to leave teaching and had purchased a kegerator 
I think what had happened, maybe it was that her wife Kim had given her a kegerator, and so she was buying kegs to stock that. And then she just thought, why don't I make my own beer for my kegerator? So she had started homebrewing and had some questions and was exploring all of that, and mutual friends put her in touch with Brad. And so they began an email correspondence about beer styles and about brewing techniques. And that's how our conversations initially started. And it turns out that Robin wanted what we wanted. Um, and so eventually the, the natural question was, why don't we do this together? And it turns out that the three of us do have a very compatible skill set. And between the three of us, we were able to sort of cover all the bases in terms of opening a business. You mentioned earlier before the mics were on that Robin does some brewing on some days and then is probably doing admin work at home right now. Yeah. So she so she gets to do a lot of stuff around here. For sure. Something I see often is that the founders of breweries don't get to brew very often. Yes. Um, Brad is downstairs brewing right now. Mm. So they are both brewing several times a, w- a week because the brewing process is still really what they both love. Um, and where they do want to be able to spend time. It, of course, gets harder and harder because Brad is also our business manager, so he's dealing with all of the financials and the banks uh, and running the sales crew. And then Robin has been so instrumental in um, initially founding, you know, getting the tap room organized. She had on-premise experience, so she built that out, but also did all of that permitting with the health department, um, and she's really key in our human resources processes right now, as well as, you know, overseeing s- staff and, uh, gosh, you name it, admin. <laughs> so just so I can get a sense of the scale of the brewery, you've now been, you've got you've got some staff, you've got three co-owners, and between the three of you, you can kind of manage to do between your skill sets can do everything. How many other people do you have running around here? Brewers, tap like tap room, you know, maybe even you know accountants and whoever. Right, where in the low 20s in terms of uh, employees. And about half of that would be full-time brewing staff, and the rest of that would be comprised of our taproom staff, many of which are part-time. Mm-hmm. So you guys, the three the three owners, manage all the sort of business aspects, and you've got brewers and then taproom people who kind of between, like you guys all sort of do the, I don't know, you've, you've got to do all the grunt work, all the all the. All we the, all we the do a lot of the, work. you know, yes, we do a lot of the business end of it. And in my role specifically is more on the marketing and promotion. That's what I did for so many years in the wine industry. I was always in the public relations, education, marketing side of things. So that is where my responsibilities land here at Stoop as well. I'm responsible for the aesthetics of the tap room, all of our merchandise, all of our social media, the events that we do here, um, so on and so forth. And then, yes, and then the other business administrative fall to Brad and Robin. Uh, We do now have a tap room manager, which has been really fantastic. So someone that can really keep just, you know, more, better eyes on the day-to-day, a real resource for the crew in the tap room and also managing the event space that we're sitting in right now. So we are definitely sitting in your your like your handiwork here in terms of marketing. You mentioned the aesthetic. It's just a beautiful beautiful place. I'm Thank looking you. at I, I'm looking at a lot of what must have been a lot of design work to get all of these like I guess that I don't know what you call that not really a mural but get the wall up there set up and your merchandise is some of my favorite. I've got a, a stoop uh, 
puffball beanie that I've been <laughs> that I've worn threadbare. And then when they when I went to go buy another one, they were gone, and now they're back again, or they were at least this winter. <laughs> or a new version. Yeah, is back. A new, it was a new version, and they're back again. And I was happy to see that. You've also got your your Pride Month game is on point. You've got yes. your flag hanging up. You've got a whole new physical sign back there with all the with the pride flag colors yes. uh, on the S, the trans flag on the T, and then some mysterious other ones <laughs> that I don't know. It was really hard to choose. We looked up, uh, one of our taproom employees had this idea of incorporating multiple flags into our branding this season. And so we looked up flags. Well, there are there are a lot of flags. And it was really hard to choose the ones that felt like they would be the most inclusive. So mm-hmm. how could we cover as many people? So yes, it's the traditional pride flag, the trans flag. There's non-binary, all gender bears. Mm-hmm. Those are the flags we landed on in hopes of feeling the most welcoming to the most people. Okay. What, what was the last one you mentioned? The bears. The bears? Bears. Okay. Which, a category of yeah, gay men. That was all that I knew about it. I didn't. I didn't know there was a full flag. Mm-hmm. For the, for, there okay. is. There it is. You're looking at it. <laughs> oh, okay. Oh, I see. Look, it's even got a little bear paw. Oh, we love it. the bear paw. <laughs> yeah, that I think makes the flag. Oh, that's funny. <laughs> the bear flag might be a bit of a stretch for. <laughs> I encourage you to look up flags and then, but and if you. I'd be willing to hear suggestions for the flags that we left out and maybe should incorporate. But I really had five letters to work with. Yeah. So, <laughs> so I mean, it, ter- was, it was definitely hard to make our choices. In terms of the colors, I mean, it all turned out very nicely. It looks nicely. great. <laughs> I, actually, it looks better than I even could have anticipated. We love yeah. it. We love it. And we've had a lot of f- fun. We have um, our third Pride beer of the month just released in the tap room yesterday, and that's our Marching Pride IPA. Um, we started the month with Barbie Budget Camper IPA, and then Rainbow Bubbles, Marching oh, nice. Pride, and then Fabulous Exclamation Point IPA will be out later this month. Oh, let's talk about what stoop actually means. What the word as a means? Word. Yeah. Yes. Stoop is an old English word, and it really means a flagon or a tankard. So it harkens back to the day when you might have walked into your local pub with your own mug, and you would have asked them to fill your stoop with ale. So that was the inspiration. But it also is the font of holy water when you walk into a church. So we like to joke about how we bless ourselves in beer here at Stoop. Um, And that answer, that was recently, Stoop was recently the answer to the London Times crossword puzzle about that very question, the font of holy water. So... It's legitimate. We didn't make it up. I want to know, I keep on looking over here at your big stoop beaker glass with the lines on it and everything. We already talked about the chemistry mm-hmm. influences and everything. I sort of imagined that stoop and chemistry, like those words would come, collide a little more. So it's well, sort of... Well, you know, it, it's also, we also did find an old Norse definition that means beaker. There you go. So they do collide a little more. Yeah. And then, of course, with, you know, Brad as a chemist, Robin as a biologist... Our tagline is the art and science of beer. Um, We toyed with the idea of having actual beakers as our taster glasses, but they're super expensive and super fragile. And that little, you know, the little pouring spout makes them, they don't fit nicely together Mm. because they're always bumping into each other. So anyway, that's when I had the idea that I'll just make our own beaker, right? Bingo, bango. Worked out nicely. Uh, Yeah, that's what we did. 
How about we talk about our beer now? Well, that sounds like a great idea. <laughs> you were just mentioning your Pride lineup. Yes. Uh, would you just run through those again real quick for me? Sure. So we have had a series of Pride beers this month, and the first Pride beer of the month was our Bar- Barbie, excuse me, the first Pride beer of the month was our Barbie Budget Camper IPA. Do you know what that reference point is? It sounds like a 90s Barbie toy, but I don't mm. know how it makes a, a Pride. Gosh, I was sure. See, this is how our, um, this is where our age comes into play. Like, mm. we're not, <laughs> our generational gap. Uh, it's a reference from the movie Priscilla, Queen of the Desert. Ah, see. Which, if you haven't seen it, is really fun movie. But at some point during the movie, it's just this wild romp through the outback, um, with a you know band full of uh, drag queen dancers, many performances ensue, and at one point, one of them christens the broken down RV that they are driving christens it Barbie Budget Camper. <laughs> so that was the inspiration for that name, and that beer is a hazy IPA. The second beer to come out was Rainbow Bubbles. And we released that just last week, and that was the beer that was flowing at our Pride event this past Sunday in the Beer Garden. And yesterday we released Marching Pride IPA, and later this month you'll see Fabulous Exclamation Point IPA. You got a lot of IPAs. Hazy we IPA. do, yes. Was there, what was the other one in there, the second one you mentioned? Was Rainbow that also, Bubbles. Was that also an yeah, IPA? Yeah, this series of beers, they are all IPAs, mm-hmm. because... Um, essentially, we are releasing an IPA every two weeks. Mm. This is one of the really fun aspects about being a draft brewery. We can pivot really quickly, um, and we can release so many IPAs because they go out into the market and they're consumed um, here in the tap room, out at our local wholesale accounts, uh, and they move really quickly. And so we can have a lot of fun with a lot of rotating styles. Whereas if we were packaging all of those, it might be a little harder to be you know, to have a succession of four so rapidly. Mm-hmm. I, well, there was a while ago when I came in, years and years ago, this was probably, oh, I guess probably a good question to ask, was when, when was the brewery opened? We opened in October of 2013. We soft opened on my birthday, actually. Oh, so, nice. Yeah, <laughs> the best birthday I've had so far. <laughs> October 2013 means I would have, I moved here just before you opened okay. that summer, and then Probably didn't even take a look at the beer scene until you were around. Oh. Because uh, I started diving into, I dived into the beer world hard right after, after moving here. And then so, as far as I was concerned, you guys had been here for a long time. It turns out you had just opened. Isn't that funny? Perspective yeah. is everything. It's crazy. Yeah. It, it's so fun. Like, I remember Lucky Envelope opening, and I think, I remember thinking, I, like, I met Barry at a homebrew competition, mm-hmm. and then... And then he goes, yeah, I'm opening a brewery this summer. I was like, oh, my God, wow. And then that was, the, <laughs> that was my first exposure to a brewery opening. And I thought it was so cool. And now it happens every hour. <laughs> uh, but anyway, so you opened in 2013. And I remember thinking when I came in for the first time, oh, these guys like to brew a lot of like British styles. And I think at the time, you maybe had an ESB and, like, and something else on tap. And I was like, that must be their thing. And that clearly is not the case. No. Well, our thing, I would say our thing is really, we're definitely traditionalists in terms of styles. Um, the, the beer styles are important to us. The history of those styles mean a lot to us. I would say uh, more than British, we probably lead toward German. Mm. So I'm trying to remember when it was that we brewed our first batch of the German style Pilsner. But that is now 
you know, one of our core beers, um, the Bavarian Hefeweizen, which distinctly was inspired by one of the breweries that Brad was at while we were on the East Coast, and that was the um, Ramstein Wheat Beer Company. We drank so much of a delicious uh, Bavarian blonde while we were out there and, and really came home to Seattle and wanted to make that style. And at the time that we started, that was not a style that you found out here. Uh, so it's really gratifying to see how popular that beer has become. It's a summer mainstay for us. We we phase it out after you know Oktoberfest season each year, and then we bring it back in the spring. And I would say it's our most sought-out beer here in the taproom. People are always waiting for it to come back. Mm. Um, and then some Belgian styles as well. And we're continuing to experiment as we grow our barrel aging program. You mentioned, though, you had several IPAs. Yes, I, we do. That, that's a pretty common trend for breweries around here. They're, yeah, it's what the people want. <laughs> yeah. How do you, do you have problems sort of reconciling what you want to brew and what, and how many IPAs people want to drink? I don't think so. I mean, I think we've landed at a spot where if you are down in the main tap room and you look up at our beer menu, there are a lot of non-IPA options as well. We've gotten to this place where you sort of can look at the left side of the menu, and then it's true that the right side will be dominated by IPAs. But we have terrific relationships with the hop growers over in Yakima, and hops are one of the most exciting things happening in craft beer right now. And so to have that direct access, to be able to run over there, particularly during fresh hop season, to be able to express so many flavor profiles within one style of beer, that's pretty satisfying, you know, that you could go down that entire list on the right side of the board and those beers would taste distinct from one another. You know, from our Citra, which is probably our flagship IPA, right? Uh, our most, our best-selling beer year-round, a lower ABV, bright, easier-drinking IPA, to, you know, I think the current double IPA that we have on tap right now is Toothless in Seattle, which is in homage to one of our uh, lovely servers mm. who lost her front tooth. Oh, no. <laughs> Years ago. <laughs> and has worked in every bar here in Seattle, so everyone knows her and loves her. So <laughs> she had to have her own beer. It's, it's funny how, because I, lo I love to bust the fact that their IPAs are so popular, every brewery always has to have yes. four. Yes. Well, you can I, you look at breweries that resist that trend, and you know that that's hard. Hilliards comes to mind, right? They were they were adamantly opposed to making an IPA. Yeah, I went to Nine Yard over in Kenmore, and they are one of those breweries that does, doesn't want to make an IPA, and they still have a dry hopped pale that. May, might as well be an IPA. Right, yeah. right. It's allowing them to remain true in in. Yeah words only. <laughs> exactly. But yeah, Hilliards uh, came and went to another place by uh, Lagunitas and right. in that tap room, which is something we might want to talk about a little later. <laughs> but yeah, I feel like I, I want a new word for IPA because I'm sick of saying it. And I think that there's just so, so much space in the IPA realm now mm -hmm. because everyone drinks IPAs. Now there's black IPAs and white IPAs that have made it into like, you know, the BJCP guidelines since 2015 or however. Right. And hazy IPAs, hazy or IPAs and yeah, or, or juicy or Northeast right. or whatever you want to call them or New England. I always call them Northeast, but then I keep hearing. Right. I guess call it is North. New yeah. England more um, correctly. I prefer Northeast. <laughs> or I, I don't like, I like call them hazy because I don't want to give the Northeast any credit for brewing an IPA. Like that's our thing over here in the Northwest. <laughs> 
the but the, you know double IPAs and all this stuff and even pales, which at any given brewery it's a crapshoot whether or not those the overlap between those will just be, they're the same beer. They might as well be in my mind. I'm just sick of saying IPAs. We need a new category. <laughs> you might and maybe every brewery should have one side of their menu is committed to the eight different types of IPAs, and the other side of their menu can be committed to all the fun <laughs> stuff they want, other fun stuff they want to make. Anyway, just do a you remember? Range. Well, if you landed and really started delving in after 2013. One of the first, when we opened, we opened with three beers on tap. And that's because we're a 15-barrel brew house, right? So, um, you know, we needed to get the doors open, but we also needed to turn those bigger batches. We couldn't just rapid fire multiple styles. But one of the first three beers we opened with was an ISA. Do you remember that? That's a style that came and went, that died really fast the india session yeah ale. that's what i was god that's so funny i mean i i actually i think i do remember that and i remember that trend i that was i don't have a problem with that i like that i like that idea i like being able to drink just a little quick hot blast and maybe drink three or you know right. but and I, I'm, I'm still on team session i still think that's well i that's think fun. dry hop lager like now that people are playing with the lagers a little more and maybe dry hop lager is the answer because it is your legitimately sessionable beer yeah and then you could add a little bit of that hop character to it if if that's what, you know, people really enjoy about those beers. Mm-hmm. I'm really excited to see you guys delving into lagers mm-hmm. as well. It's been fun. Working hard on those because that, is, yeah, you mentioned earlier, it's a it's becoming a trendier style. And I I still grab the lager first anywhere I go. You know, it's because yeah. it's, um, it's a really good sort of litmus test for mm. chemistry theme. Uh, it shows it doesn't hide its flaws very easily no, not at all i went down to rooftop across the way and they've got a um a lager style ale and they call it their their lsa which i think oh, is pretty funny because clever they, craig yeah <laughs> his um we're in the same elementary school actually so i'm gonna find him on the playground and ask him about that <laughs> yeah um they were actually the very first episode of this podcast oh, over a year cool. ago. Yeah. Um, they uh, anyway. So yeah, it's good to see that one working out. There's a couple of the good lager breweries. Speaking of large breweries coming onto the scene with big with big brew houses, you guys had the 15 barrel uh, Bosque over in Woodenville just opened with a 30 barrel. Wow. And they are planning to do lagers to specialize in lagers, and I want I can't wait to see how long that lasts before they start specializing in IPAs. Well, <laughs> I don't know. I mean. You know, Chuckanut has done it so well for so long. I mean, they will. Kemper has to be Washington's lager master. And I, I think that there's room. I think lagers might be, you might be able to succeed with lagers at this point. You know, so so many so many things are timing, right? Like Hilliard's now might have had more success in refusing to produce an IPA than they did then. But people are craving lagers, looking for lagers. And the real reason that so many of the smaller breweries don't have them is because they're so time-consuming to make, right? They tie up our fermentation space. And if you have a minimal number of tanks, you really need to turn your beers over a little more quickly. And, of course, ales are a faster brewing cycle. And you mentioned mentioned that Kemper's up there. They Yeah, Chuck and I really does just absolutely nail those loggers and it'll be yeah it'll be fun to see some more more loggers kind of come to market so can i say one of my favorite fun facts yes. about 
checking it? Yes. This is just a personal fun fact. My very first job ever was busting tables at a Mexican restaurant on Bainbridge Island, and I bussed for Mari Kemper at that time. So I was 15 years old, and Mari was a waitress at the Mexican restaurant, and Will was just getting started. You know, they hadn't yet opened Thomas Kemper over on the peninsula. Yeah. So, you know, fast forward many years, and it was an absolute thrill to find her at our first Washington Beer Winter Beer Festival. And I was able to run up to her and ask if she remembered me. You know, now here we are. We've and come. did she? <laughs> she well, she did. She did. She was loads of fun, and she's exactly the same, just with white hair. Yeah, yeah. Oh, she hasn't man. changed a bit. Yeah, they were on the podcast as well, and they are the sweetest people. They are I've lovely. Ever met. Lovely. <laughs> They're also really good storytellers. Which oh, is fantastic. they have. I mean, they have so many stories, right? They've done so many things, <laughs> and they've seen the look at the cycle of the beer industry that they've seen, right? Selling their brewery and then coming back and opening a new one pure insanity they were one of the things they were chatting with me about was they uh they have that soda that they used to make and now it's still some brand has now bought it they've got Woodmere, right i i don't know i guess but or is it pyramid pyramid that sounds right Mm -hmm. i think i think it must have been pyramid they anyway they were talking about how they just have this brand sort of floating around that's no longer affiliated with them in any way and <laughs> except for the name yeah. Kemper uh-huh. <laughs> um, we talked about loggers and how those are hopefully come back around talking about hazies how those are just totally dominating everything and everyone's got a brew I one. feel like now as you say that though yes hazy came on strong right and in my mind hazy was like the new amber right it mm-hmm. was the real it's the entry approachable beer there's a reason it's people describe them as juicy and so how much easier could it be than drinking a juicy beer um but i as we sit here discussing hazies it's not the crazy trend that it even was last summer Mm -hmm. we're not maybe i shouldn't say this out loud as i'm you know maybe i should actually check in with the tap room really to hear to see if we're receiving those requests they always sell through when we have them we were kind of late. It's not a style that we love personally, um, so it took us a while to make one. I just don't feel like they're as dominant as they were there for a yeah. for several months. What about brewed IPAs and all the silly ones? Do you guys, have you guys brewed any of those? We have made a couple of brewed IPAs, and I don't know if that trend has lasting power. It's certainly not something you hear about, or it's it's definitely not one of those beers that people grab if they see it. Mm. They're not looking for their next brute IPA necessarily. Yeah, that was a weird one. That, that I I don't get that one. I think that one that brute IPA. You know what? Maybe what it is. It's it's people longing for lagers again because the brute IPA is like notably clean and clear, and that's kind of the whole right. point. And drier style. You know, we're kind of really hoping like everyone's kind of going over oh, the brute IPA. Is that they don't, want, they don't want to admit they like lagers so much because craft, a lot, most craft, or a lot, I'm, I shouldn't say most, plenty of craft beer drinkers are rebelling against big beer and lagers in general. So when you see a craft lager, it's really easy to go, no, 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 no. Like you're clearly pandering to the Budweiser drinking crowd, but really, no, I just want a lager. Like, this just I want a craft lager. Give me something good. <laughs> anyway, there's a reason it's the most popular They're style. They're hoping brute equals light, refreshing yeah. lawnmower beer. Perfect. Is that exactly. what you're thinking? Yep, okay. exactly. <laughs> My long-winded way of saying that. Much more <laughs> succinct. Do you see any... Um, any new trends coming up or what do you see in the future of your styles and what might be changing later? Well, I definitely, you know, as we've discussed, I see this lager trend happening or just lower ABV in general. 
because even in our own small life cycle thus far, uh, we distinctly remember that people were looking for high ABV when we first started, particularly in the IP, IPA category, and that you're seeing a trend away for that, from that. People do want, maybe they don't want to call it an India Session Ale anymore, but they do want a more sessionable beer. And we see plenty of people that really want to stay in that five to six point ABV range. Um, we're also seeing trends toward malt forward beers and a lot of interesting work coming from, you know, smaller local maltsters, right? Heirloom varieties, uh, Mainstem malt, Skagit Valley, and then Link over on the eastern side of the United States. So I think that we'll probably see a lot more interest there as we continue forward. For us personally, we have moved into, or we are in the process of moving into a portion of the building that was just built right behind Stoop Brewing. And that's going to allow us to increase our sour program because there, that's also another category that there's a lot of interest in uh, and that beers that we enjoy quite a bit and our barrel aging program as well as having additional fermentation space and so on and so forth. Mm-hmm. So that's where we're going. Yeah, it's good to hear that you guys are making the move to the sour and barrel aging stuff. Mm-hmm. That's kind of... that. I suppose that will complete the portfolio. There's nowhere else to go beyond that, right. really, is there? Until they come up with the next thing. <laughs> yeah, whatever that might be. Oh, dear. It's funny you mentioned craft malt. I was just out in Montana in Great Falls, and I listened to a talk by a bunch of malt gro- like a bunch of barley growers, and they were talking about malting with sort of the same enthusiasm as a brewer who's about to open their own brewery might. Like, mm-hmm. they're, yeah, we grow barley, and I just learned about malting, and I'm gonna, I learned all this, all the fun, cool ways to malt barley so I can sell to the, you know, the beer industry. And they were, they were talking about, like, I was, I was looking up ways to make, I'm gonna Vienna malt this, I'm gonna do, make this kind of malt. And they were, they were excited about craft malting the same way a brewer is excited about craft brewing. It was really interesting. And I, cause mm-hmm. all I can think about is, we are kind of cemented into the sort of malt providers we currently have. And you've got Skagit Valley up there doing stuff, which is great. And they're, they're good here. Like they're, they can make it to Washington brewers, but they, right. don't, they don't necessarily have the reach. I'm not going to, I don't want a foot in mouth. I don't know too, I don't know enough about them, but it'll be, yeah, like you said, heirloom varieties. It'll be really fun to see brewers start to experiment with some, with completely new things. Cause it's a whole new dimension of stuff that no one even knows anything about really. Cause I don't usually talk about malt on the podcast. Right. And and I'm not equipped to talk about it in any great detail, too, but I do know that you're absolutely right. I think there is a lot of interesting stuff happening in that side of the industry, and we're going to start hearing more and more about it, and you will see beers that will highlight the, the maltster that inspired the beer. Yeah. And we've already done a few of those. We've worked with Skagit Valley. We've worked with Link and Mainstem, like I said. But I think of those three, Mainstem isn't yet, they don't have their own malting system. They're really a farmer-driven organization at this point, which is kind oh. of cool if you think about how farmer-driven the hops are. Um, maybe you can clarify a little bit. What do you mean by farmer-driven? Well, just that they're not they're not malting. Where you have Skagit Valley that is sourcing their grain and and probably working directly with farmers as well, but they have built this amazing, uh, they have all of the equipment to see the process through on their own. And I believe that Link does as well, whereas Mainstream isn't there yet. 
Let's talk about the business stuff. <laughs> Great. That sounds like the least interesting stuff to talk about. But. Oh, I, I <laughs> if it's definitely my favorite part. You talk enough about beer, and you can I can ask you questions about brewed IPAs, but really, you know, unless you're sitting here drinking one, it's they're not as interesting as they are <laughs> to, to right, hear about. Right, it's true to hear about it. We could pour it, and make it glug into the glass. Yeah. So it sounds really fascinating. But yeah. The next part of this conversation is for patrons only. So if you go to patreon.com slash cyclingcicerone, you can sign up to get access to bonus episodes and swag, in addition to a host of other perks. If you're already a patron, then that episode will be showing up in your feed next week. Speaking of patrons, I've got a new one to shout out to Hans Pang, who joined recently. He gets to write a question that I will ask at my next interview. He gets access to every single episode, one a week. And I'll be sending him some stickers and coasters. Thank you very much, Hans, for joining in. I'm glad you enjoy the podcast. You don't have to be a patron to get a shout out like that. Just go to Apple Podcasts and write us a review. It's super easy, free, and actually helps the podcast out a lot. Thank you very much for listening. I'm super excited to be back in the saddle. If you're a patron, I'll see you next week. And if not, I'll see you in two. Ride safe. Are you a brewery that wants to be on a podcast? Shoot me an email, andrew at cyclingcicerone.com.